Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. Hello and welcome. My name is Jackie Vanderveld and I'm here running another wonderful podcast and this is a video cast this time with Maggie Dent on behalf of the Victorian Parents Council. So this is a great thrill for me. Um, I'm a bit of a fangirl Maggie so um, <laughs> have, have actually uh, look, look, read lots and lots of your books. I've actually been to your talks. So I've been in the audience. So for those of you who don't know Maggie and I can't believe there'd be too many people in our audience who wouldn't not have have seen Maggie or heard of Maggie or even you know read one of her books but uh, Maggie is known as Australia's common sense queen um, and she's an author educator um, around uh, particularly around parenting and resilience and she is a dedicated advocate quietly changing the lives of families um, and communities and she is also the host of the ABC's Parental as Anything. So welcome Maggie, it's lovely to have you with us. Hi Jackie and uh, a very very warm welcome to everyone who jumps on. Um, My heart goes out to um, um, my beautiful Victorian people who are normally there And I also have a beautiful niece with two little ones who's a solo mum smack bang in the middle of all this. So she has been getting um, care packages and lots of text messages, but I still feel kind of a bit powerless to really help. So this is kind of a way that I, I feel I might be. Well, look, it's, that's very generous. And I think that we, you know, I, I think with the news on the weekend that we've just had where they're looking at another, you know, well, maybe November at this stage is, is the timing that they're looking to remove some of those restrictions all going well. Um, these are really trying times. So, um, Maggie, I think that some of our conversation today is really about what parents can do to not only assist themselves, but particularly their children. So what do you think is what is happening with parents and children? I mean, we know we hear stories, but what are you hearing is happening with parents and children during the lockdown? Okay, so we've, we're really coming to this year um, a little bit wobbly anyway. You know, you, you know, Melbourne was covered in smoke and we were covered in smoke. So already our, our nervous systems are a little bit overloaded before we launched into this. And then everyone went into shutdown. Now it was a whole global thing. So usually what happens to us, we get triggered by an immediate threat to our sense of safety. And so, of course, we were all, you know, in that little bubble and everybody got shut and all those things were taken away. And then gradually um, we came out and then what's happened in Melbourne particularly and, and, you know, stage four Melbourne, stage three, the rest of Victoria, is you got thrown back into it and you had a lot of awful numbers that were appearing. So what happens to every human that is in that space and all the people who love you, we're all constantly being triggered by threat, which means our amygdala fires up, we make lots of cortisol, and in actual fact, it's a day-by-day thing because it's, it, it constantly feeds itself. So um, what I really, you know, we have to really embrace the fact that this feeling awful, but this last lot of news, I just felt it like a just, and I thought, gosh, and I'm not even there. It almost, look, it took all the hope that, we, that we're starting to build. Surely we've done all the right things, most of you. So again, for, for, for I think it's the despair that really is now, whereas before we all started with a lot of grief and then in actual fact, 
because parts of you have already been doing this for so long, it's actually your new normal. So I, I know it sounds kind of a bit weird, but you actually know how to do this. And you've had so much practice at what works and what doesn't work, even with parents working from home. You've worked out when your kids work best with their online learning, when it's actually not working and that I need to be the growing up that takes this to another level. So in actual fact, you are the most experienced people um, to be dealing with this adverse event. And your kids have already adjusted you know, to this situation. So the ones who are, you know, have got um, children going into the school environments who are, you know, uh, essential workers, they've got a, a different normal and you're, the children at home have a different normal, but because it's been going on so long, in actual fact, your kids have probably adjusted quite well to it. Of course, everybody wanted it to end. So again, if we can keep that in, that the more predictable environment, um, kind of like they know how to do this, you know, I think you're going to get a little bit more time outside. Was that what I heard? Yes, yes. I, I mean, doubling that, that's just like, <laughs> whoa, that has to be celebrated, especially as spring is coming in beautiful Melbourne instead of lockdown in, um, you know, one hour in winter. So I think it's about us recognising that um, collectively you are dealing with an adverse event, which we would call a traumatic event, and you're all doing it at the best you can. And I think it's what I keep saying to families, you have to work out what works for you and your family, whether you're a solo parent or a co-parent, or you've got one who's where all both are working from home, the ages of your children, everything is different. Those living in a two bedroom apartment, those with a backyard, those who are near water, those who aren't, those who've got grandparents that they've, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, we just all want to come out the other side of this alive. Exactly. And I really like that point that you're making that you've got this, you've done this before. So I think it's, you, it's sitting down and really thinking about the competencies that you've, that you've uh, developed, those skills that we developed the first time around. And uh, here we go in, okay, all right, well, I've got my skill set now. I know what to do. So, you know, that's an important thing because I think you can get lost in that hopelessness oh. and despair. And technically, um, so what resilience really is, is adapting to adversity to survive. Wow, Melbourne, tick. You've got the A plus because possibly have the longest lockdown in the whole country and world. But what we do know is your children are now able to recognise there are times when bad things happen to good people and we collectively um, gather together to overcome it, which is in actual fact what resilience is. It's about human connectedness in order to strive for a common goal and, you know, this is exactly, they're going to end up, you know, like one day we, you know, looking back at it as older, older grown ups, possibly with their own grandchildren saying, no, there was a time when everything was shut. There was no cars on the street. There were, you know, the playgrounds were shut. And, you know, at least I think the toilet paper survived a bit better this time. But, you know, these are things are real and we got through it. You know, like I'm the product of um, my dad was the Second World War, my grandfather, First World War. I visited the Western Front and I witnessed and saw the sort of horrible carnage that happened there. And I've also been um, in the country towns around Australia where they lost all their men because often the men who volunteered all were in the same battalion. And I, try, I put myself in the position of those women with men not returning who lost their sons and their husbands. and their... So we as humans are biologically wired to survive. Yeah. And then once we know we're going to survive and then we can focus on being happy, 
being um, you know, optimistic, being creative, all those sorts of things that we think. But while we're focusing on surviving, that is exactly what humans are meant to do. And I really think you, that our children have been watching us. They're watching at times that we get really stressed and that's not a bad thing. There are times I'm sure I have recommended for um, uh, some of the schools that I've worked with in the background that you need to keep a very large block of fruit and nut chocolate in your bedroom. And there are times you're just going to need it because it's a health food <laughs> and you disappear for five or 10 minutes, eat that, take a few breaths and come back out because you would have adjusted your stress levels so that you can be the parent you really want to be. No, I love that. And I, I'm, I'm all for medicinal chocolate, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's an essential part of your kit bag. Um, Maggie, what happens, I mean, I, we've, we've actually had quite a number of guests over, the, over this period with, for VPC, and we've been looking at some of those neurological changes that have been happening with children in this time. So what does happen, what is happening or could happen to children's brains um, during this lockdown? Well, one of the... It, it all depends on what's been happening in that safe environment. So the safer we create that environment, the more predictable that environment, then the less that, that a child's brain has to be flipped into flight or fight. So that's why every now and then we have to keep on saying, look, it's actually about you creating um, as safe an environment as you can. So that, you know, there are times we can't do the things that normally make us feel good, but what can we do? We're grown ups, we know our own children. And I have been recommending that there are endless cubbies under the dining table at times with a, um, you know, possibly a desk lamp, which is where they're doing their schoolwork. You know, in other words, what we know is that when we're flooded with cortisol, it's the big grown-ups in the environment, and that can be obviously teachers online as well, who are the stabilising influence for children because they can get stuck in their cortisol, and that's toddlers as well as teenagers. They actually often can't get out of it. They need a grown-up's help. So I think that you probably already worked that out. That And one of my recommendations from working with home um, is that when parents, you know, take turns at being the parent on duty um, or what I call the designated parent, then what we want is that other parent is the one answering all the questions and keeping an eye and the other one gets some serious work done. But in two hours, we meet for morning tea, we meet for lunch, we meet for afternoon tea, we eat something, we laugh together, we ruffle each other's hair, we might have a wrestle, we might do whatever if that gives us our chance to get out of the house. So what we're doing is resetting all of our neurochemicals. Yep. yep. So it's, again, little pockets of that and recognising at times that you might just need to put the school stuff aside, you know, an hour earlier than usual for the walk earlier because they're not dealing with that right now. And the siblings have decided today's the day they've irritated the heck out of each other. Uh, so we need to be the big people that say, okay, let's head off, let's go, or let's bake some pikelets, <laughs> let's make sourdough bread, whatever you want to do. Can you see again? I believe parents have got really good at this without even knowing that they are constantly adjusting the neurotransmitters in our, in our children's brains because serotonin is the calm one. That's my question. That's lovely. But that comes from hugs, singing together, you know, being in the safe space. That's just why sometimes the family movie in the middle of the day with a bucket of popcorn is exactly what everybody needs to regroup energetically. Um, and dopamine is the one that says, wow, I'm having fun. I love this. This is great, which doesn't always happen with our learning. <laughs> and, um, and I think one other thing we need to keep in mind is stress brains can't learn well. So I've had children are flooded with cortisol. There's not enough dopamine to get engaged. So if they're struggling at getting it at the beginning of the day, we might shift our walk to the beginning of the day or we might do a dance-off 
you know, with some groovy music with everyone in the house, knowing that you are making a neurotransmitter which will help them be engaged and that, you know, ranting and raving and yelling and shouting to get them engaged actually floods them with more cortisol. So I think, you know, there's those little tiny simple things um, and that there are, there are different ways our kids feel safe and connected. And I think that's another one parents have probably worked out that what works for the, you know, the eight-year-old doesn't work for the six-year-old or the 12-year-old. And there's also gender differences with how we get everyone engaged and what might help them learn. So I think really, um, you know, parents, particularly in stage four, have probably got this sorted out, seriously. Well, I know that some have, and I know that some are still really stressed by it yeah. all too. So specifically about siblings, Maggie, and you did mention that, you know, yeah. this is the day, perhaps this is the day that they, they all are on each other's <laughs> nerves. Um, look, you know, and knowing that that's all part of a normal you know, a normal range of, of relationships. But in this sort of situation, we can be in a bit of a, you know, a pressure cooker. So what are some techniques and strategies that parents could use to help diffuse that, but not diffuse it in a way that's, you know, sending everybody to their corners of, yeah. the, of, the, yeah. of the house? The okay, year. so the very first thing with siblings is to make sure that they have uh, prioritised the things that they don't want their other siblings to touch. They need a special box. Yep, the special box means that you don't you have to get permission to touch what's in here. The rest of the stuff around the house or in my room is actually touchable. That that can reduces an awful lot of stuff. Um, secondly, that I really love it when a family gets kind of around the dining table, has a family meeting about how are we going, you know, like where are we at, what's causing problems, and um, that sometimes when you do that, your feisty siblings get to feel a lot more heard and are less bossy to their siblings later. I know it sounds crazy, but they, they actually think they know better than you sometimes. Um, sometimes they come up with good ideas. So I think it's about being heard. And also, um, can we work collectively to solve some of the problem areas? So is there a certain afternoon? Is there a certain day? Um, and is it the, um, you know, the feisty one with the less or is it the girl and the boy? Because we do know that at times... Um, you know, the boy's need for physicality means that he will want to jump on his sister for fun, but she's not necessarily going to appreciate that. So I really believe it's bringing them around those tables and also working out um, what works for us and what, what is not working is what we bring to the table. And I, I've just found some amazing um, responses from that where we've found that even a four-year-old, a three or four-year-old, can come out with something quite insightful when we actually question them, but that we're all in it together and that we actually need each other. So there are days that um, the older siblings will take over supervising the younger ones around the learning environment and actually makes them feel a bit important. <laughs> we need them to do a year four plus maths, don't we? Because most of us have no idea what that is anymore. And I think it's encouraging them to be to be up there. So in other words, instead of us trying to do everything ourselves, we just go, hey, look, we need some help with this. Um, and I need some help with meal prep or I need some help with this. It's not so much um, a chore or a deed. It's, it's this is what we're doing so that when we come out the other end, one of the things that I really have seen succeed a lot is the um, idea around that table that we are creating a, a dream uh, celebration when everything's open. So where is it we would like to go? Is it a camping holiday or we're going to get a fishing boat or we're going to go and climb something that we've got, you know, something we want to do as a family that we then really kind of create a vision board of it, preferably on the fridge because you'll see that. 
So in other words, the kids then keep creating ideas of what we do when we finally have the freedom because then you're shifting the mindset from stuck to uh, future preferred future, which is, of course, the preferred future, which we're all struggling with because we don't know what it looks like because we don't know when, right? And I'm, you know, as I said, I'm stuck. I have two beautiful granddaughters in Western Australia who um, I will not have seen for eight months. I'm going to miss both their birthdays and I bake the cake. Um, so I've had to work around ways that make sure that they feel connected to me. And what's really interesting um, is that the four-year-old over there now can pick up mummy's phone and Skype nanny. Um, and sometimes she Skypes me to show me a dead leaf or a nut or a picture. And then she doesn't even need to talk. She just wants to show me and then she just quits off. So what she's doing is keeping me in her life in a way that I would have never thought. And we also do Skype cooking. So those of you who've got loved ones a long way away, just, you know, sticking us up on the iPad or the tablet on the bench while you cook builds that sense of connection and reduces that fear of separation because we are social beings um, and we are biologically wired to want to be close to the safe, beautiful people we love. Um, And so any of those ways, and and fortunately I had a 65th Zoom birthday party this year, which meant I was able to have all my four sons and their dogs and their babies all in the same room. It wasn't quite as good as what I'd wanted, but can you see again, this is the year that we're doing what we can to keep us connected as we can because it won't last forever. Yep. I really like that um, discussion about the, the idea you had about having the fridge with the preferred future. And it reminds me of that story of the Stockdale, <laughs> the, the Stockdale, you know, the Vietnam um, prisoners of war and, uh, you know, mm. that not, it wasn't when because that wasn't known, no, but it was what will happen. Yeah. And uh, that's such an important part of building that. And I, I also think if we've got older children, you know, anywhere 12 plus, that we remind them, you know, of the diary of Anne Frank. Exactly. Do you know, yeah. like, you know, when you can actually put it in the context of another child that it's experienced something even more horrendous than what we are living, I think it puts them in a context that, you know, that, gosh, look at that. And also the hope that was still there that, you know, and, and I, I know people think that's a bit fluffy, but what we know is when kids have hope, um, it actually, it, it weakens that, that, that negative voice and that negative bias that's inside all of us. And we know, I mean, I just shared the story the other day of those beautiful school children who made those beautiful, huge posies out of paper for people in aged care. Yeah, I had a few tears of just, yeah. So we need to help give our kids agency to activate what else they can do to help those move on. I know we did that with some of the most beautiful pavement art and things like that. I think anything we can do in this window um, for our children of any age to give hope to another family that's struggling or give hope to a neighbour or give hope to... So, again, give them the opportunity to not only have to work hard to keep their schooling up, are they becoming agents of change? Are they becoming agents of hope? Because we absolutely know that it definitely impacts the day-by-day feeling and emotional states. Oh, certainly. And that hopes, I mean, what, the way you're explaining that there, it looks like hope actually helps people see and helps our young people see the opportunities that might be available to them as well. Yeah, you know, and creativity, That creativity yeah. starts to, to kick in. Yeah, and we, we really have to recognise that, um, I mean, we've got all the research around teens that have been struggling for the last few years. So this is, 
this is a really challenging year. And I, you know, I'm a huge advocate for our tweens and teens. And I just want to keep reminding parents that what you may see is a very angry or moody or difficult to hit. He or she does not like feeling like that. And that their intensity, their emotions in adolescence is way more intense than before and after. So that you're not being a lousy parent, but you're actually a parent who's witnessing, you know, that heightened state of emotion. So if you can turn it towards hope, it might go a bit excessive and they might go crazy and want to paint their room bright yellow. But whatever it might be, it can really be helping them because this is, this is really difficult and we have to be able to facilitate that. They're meant to be hanging out in real time with their friends. Yeah. That is a biological drive in them. So again, I really do love that notion of creating um, study groups on Zoom and things where they can all be in the same space. And, and as a high school teacher, there are kids that learn better by chatting while they actually learn. And it might just, you might think, God, I don't know any learnings happening. But at the end of the day, how is their well-being? How much do they feel that I'm being validated and noticed by the people I make? And yes, they'll do silly things in amongst it. Please don't correct that. And if it's a whole bunch of boys, there probably will be a fart or two, but it's all about connection. And we need to really support that um, and juggle that in amongst everything they've got happening in their day. No, that's, that's really good advice. I think the people, I mean, one of the things I was really appreciating and noticing, you know, during our lockdown um, here was uh, the fact that we had a garden, you know, and I'm thinking I've never been so grateful. Yes, there's a lot of weeds, a lot of work in it too, but really grateful that we had that. We've got a lot of people in smaller spaces and and in units and apartments with maybe maybe a balcony that they can get out onto, maybe not, but it's only very, very small. So what, what sort of advice can we give families with children in those situations where they may only be able to go literally outside for that short period of time? I think we have to prioritise that nature, whether it is able to grow things or it's actually being in it. So we do know in the work from Dr. Katie Baggett, who is actually a Melbourneian, she found it was the quantity of greenery that we were able to see and sense around us that restores us. So being able to open a window and absolutely look at those glorious trees that may be around is already restoring, even if you're still inside. So that's a really important one. But I can tell you that um, you can make amazing um, little funny characters uh, with a pair of pantyhose and, um, and some cotton wool and some seeds, alfalfa seeds, and do funny shape. You can do all sorts of fun things with seeds. And I think it's just one of those things that down the track, I'm hoping that as we've reset back into not only growing and cook, cooking more, I hope we don't lose that, you know, in that in that rush back and I think that's one of the things I've heard a lot of parents say to me look not only um, the first time round was awful second time round we actually were a lot better but I, my kids we're closer to our kids we realize that we spend so much time ferrying them to and from places and hurrying them up that we spent most of our time growling at them in actual fact we do less growling now we're all stuck in this space because we don't have all those schedules and I've had parents who you know on this side of Australia saying uh, we don't think we'll do Saturday sport because we love the weekend free. So as you're going, you know, towards the, the sunshine that's going to pop up at some point, really have meaningful conversations with your children around the things that you think have become better. 
And I know there's, um, I had a couple of parents say to me, oh, we, you know, we, we definitely do watch a few more things together with the kids uh, on a TV than we did before. We're also less in our bedroom at family time. But um, one of the things that one of the kids said was um, when we watch a movie now together, they don't have their phone in their hand anymore. Because most people, and again, that must be just because they realised it, it just doesn't feel as good. Because every parent who's got a smartphone who works, at, you know, is often just wanting to jump on and do a couple of work emails. Every time we do that, we're not present. So I think there's a shift around the awareness of, you know, not only healthy attachment, but the value of those relationships that we are here to get them through this and they are here to get us through this and that we're learning some new habits. And I know there's a lot of people who won't be returning into a main office space because they've worked out they can learn quite effectively from home. And I'm also finding that workplaces are recognising you can trust people to work from home. Like where did that lack of trust actually? Indeed, I've actually found, um, and I tried to suggest this before we had a pandemic, that um, giving parents flexibility when they have a sick child rather than having a day off, they can get some work done. And often they're so grateful that they can do that, look after their child and work from home, they often do more work. So that's the latest research. So in actual fact, because they're not using all that time to commute, they're actually doing, they're more effective at work. And I think there's going to be a real reshift around working families and how we can make it work for our families and ourselves um, in more flexible and creative ways. That, that's, just, that's just a little wee bit exciting for me because I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've often thought that and often spoken about that as well and saying that, you know, we can do, where did this micromanagement and yes. this um, lack of trust around, yeah. uh, around workers? And certainly there are some jobs that can only be done. You can't do much construction work in our apartment, that's for sure. <laughs> and I did have a giggle, you know, when I saw a meme with the... Uh, the, the sheepdog, uh, you know, Harry working from home and then sheep on the on the screen. But so there will be there will be you know there are obviously there yeah. are jobs and professions where you need to be somewhere. But there's a hell of a lot that can be happening um, can be happening from home. And I really I, look. I've, I've been having similar conversations, Maggie. I think that people are saying, you know, what's important. Going back to your earlier point, mm. which was find out what works for you as a family and do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think people this this sort of imposed pause are going. Well, you know what? That running around really wasn't yeah, yeah. life giving for our family, and we're making, you know, this is real, rather rather nice. So we might keep that, and we might keep that slowdown happening. I think also, um, you know, because like I've been working around children's anxiety for a long time. Actually, my first book was saving our children from our chaotic world because I felt they were getting more stressed, and that was before we had the internet um, and smartphones. Um, and what we find is when you look collectively at the societal shifts that are putting pressure on our families, mm. um, you know, it was almost getting to a, an unsustainable space. And so I think it is the reset, not only the reset that says how much is too much, but how much is productive. And also recognising that some of our children who struggle in mainstream schooling may thrive in an environment where they're not in that classroom situation as much um, and I think not only do we have more respect for our teachers and given, oh, my gosh, at one point where they flipped you, I think you had about a week and a half or something to go from classroom curriculum to online. I went, oh, oh my gosh, I'm a teacher. I don't know how you're going to do that. But I think also we've realised that, um, 
you know, it's about learning. What are we doing that facilitates learning and that we are needing to learn what I keep saying in my um, 10 building block resilience model is what life skills are our kids able to now do more of around the home environment? You know, yes, they're learning to cook and grow vegetables, but can they learn to participate in how to, how to set up Zoom meetings and how to plug this in, how to put, you know, safety protocols on online? In actual fact, if you go to your kids, they're probably able to teach you some stuff. So I started to see more life skills happening, um, more awareness of looking after the elderly down the street. And some of those kids continued after the first shutdown stopped, putting little cards in their elderly people's letter boxes and, and just double checking. And I think we, we, we took it away from the kind of me generation back to a more we generation. And I'm going to tell you that's actually really important in terms of us creating more meaningful relationships um, with not only ourselves and our family and our friends, but our school communities. Um, and I'm hoping that we don't lose all that. There are some places I know in uh, parts of Sydney that, you know, created a little bubble to keep safe and that now children um, come home, they're not doing as much after school, racing, get afternoon tea, race out and are playing on their bikes with the children in the neighbourhood, which had not happened for 15 years. And coming in exhausted, ready to for eat, ready to do homework, ready to go to bed. And like they're going, whoa, what happened? Yeah. So yeah. again, I, I really encourage all those of you stuck in there, look at the things that we're going to take forward when the new, there is not going to be an old normal. We've all worked that one out. This one's going to be a different one, but it's one that's got consciousness in it. Yeah. I think really, um, you know, the collective of parents, um, how are we helping each other raising our children and, and what sorts of things can we do to let our children shine who are not as academic? Um, how can we help them thrive in other areas, um, you know, that, that collectively are coming out of this? And I, yeah, it's, it's it, like I said, those deep conversations I've had with my own um, sons and um, daughter-in-laws about the shifts that they're making. Um, and of course, we still can't wait to get out. And I think we need to talk one other conversation with our kids about one of the reasons why it has been so difficult is that as humans, we have a fundamental need for freedom. Yeah. And we also have a need to respond to the um, uh, important rules that govern our society. And, and there are lines that cross at different times. Yeah. And I think it, it is now we have those conversations that yes, this can be really frustrating and we just want to just break out and do whatever. However, we are contributing to the greater good of our beautiful city and our beautiful state. Mm -hmm. So it's not about us being overly controlled, but, you know, have those conversations. But then when is it too much? And have honest conversations because we want our kids to stand up at times about things they feel are wrong. So it's a beautiful time to trigger what I call the metacognitive processes of your children Ask them how they feel. What would they feel as a fair thing? What would they have wanted to have happened from Daniel Andrews on Sunday? Yep. Um, and what's happening over here in New South Wales? Mm. You know, because we have these pockets. And, um, you know, look, everywhere we go, it doesn't matter if I sometimes just go in to buy a cup of coffee, I still have to put all my contact details down mm. um, just to get a cup of coffee, just in case. Just in case. So that kind of like the different way, and, and it is a question around leadership, national leadership, state leadership, community leadership, um, city leadership. Yeah, so I think it's a time we have big conversations with our children rather than just 
throttle at the at the throat of this isn't fair that is and why are they doing that let's have conversations mm -hmm. because that's what shapes the consciousness of tomorrow's children to be people that want to be part of a positive future oh i can i can hear social and uh moral philosophy 101 conversations happening <laughs> happening no, in your, in your seriously box. your kids are capable of it at a much earlier age and we stop i think we just got so busy and i love it when um because basic philosophy with children was something I, my dad was a, an agricultural scientist and um, I could ask him a question. He would always reflect it back to me with, you know, what do you think? Um, and he also conducted experiments around the farm. And even as a five, six and seven year old, I was helping him to do these things and question. So look at the brain it gave me, exactly. you know, that I don't believe everything. I've really got to sit with stuff and go, wow, I wonder, he could, wonder if there's a different way you could use those figures and stats. And so I think we can create better learners, you know, with this environment of questioning and seeking answers. That's, a, that's such an important thing. I think that, you know, perhaps as a, a generation, you know, that has really not had a tough time. I mean, you know, right. there have been, been difficult times and we've not had major crises like a, you know, the Great Depression or, or, or mm. a World War. I mean, we, yes, we've been involved in other conflicts, but there hasn't been anything that's directly impacted on us. Um, like quite like this and uh so we've not been in a situation where we've really needed to we haven't questioned a lot of things we've right. just allowed things to happen we've allowed governments to make decisions we haven't necessarily questioned that and i think that you know while i won't get into the argument of whether <laughs> what we're doing is the right thing or not but um not not on, not in this podcast anyway no. but i think that that but you're right i mean to have children questioning and 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 also too i think that that ex, um exploring what social and their social responsibility is yes. too you know i'm it's not just about me there are well my actions have mm. huge impacts um and and those lessons they take forward um can i just ask too about about screen time because we're mm. doing an awful lot on, sc yeah. on screens yeah. at the we're on a screen um but uh how i know that parents are thinking when we start to go back to more face-to-face -face and yet the only way my children have been connecting has been through screens and, uh, and, and online. How do we start to okay. wean them off and get them back into the real world? <laughs> okay, so neuroplasticity in the human brain means that any time that I work a neural pathway, it becomes really strong, right? And it's really, it's predictable. It's what my brain would prefer to be doing. So all of the neural pathways that, you know, as a consequence of being in shutdown are wired to this are wired to being on a screen environment. So just being able to say, right, so we've gone from being here all day on nearly all day, that when we're out, no, you won't be able to do that. That is just like, whoa, trigger, trigger, trigger. So again, it's um, negotiating gradually. So what we'd like to do is substitute, I mean, obviously school will go back at some point, so you, that removes some of that. Um, but it's what we do after school, the after school stuff, you have to now create a new habit rather than just flopping on the couch and putting a tablet or an iPad on my lap and me just zoom, zoom, looking for funny cat and dog videos. So can you see again, they've been entertaining themselves and creating positive neurochemicals, although we have some significant um, research showing that many of them have been traumatised with trolling and uh, cyberbullying and inappropriate accessing of material that no child should ever see. So um, it, it is about what are we going to create? And again, it's those conversations. Is there opportunities we 
can, and one way that I know has worked with um, uh, parents in Sydney is that when the schools went back, um, the working mums were working three days a week, were still working from home, tended to pick the kids up. They went straight to a nearby park. So all the mums had picked up their coffee, picked up all their kids, went to the same park on a Monday or a Tuesday of each week and just let the kids play. So what was happening was gradually the neuro pathways of predictability for that uh, it was quite funny because in the end they had to go t- two days because kids loved it so much. But what we were re-cementing was the real-time connections that were more fun than the fake virtual ones. So what we were doing is creating that opportunity. Um, what was really beautiful, some of the school environments, um, some of the ones in Perth, Uh, when I was there, I had realised that we don't give our kids enough opportunity to to play with their friends outside of school. So they started doing the same sort of thing. But some of the principals savvied up and had actually got a coffee van delivered to the school and let the children play until four o'clock on the school playground while parents chatted and caught up. So what we're doing is that school community also helped to facilitate. Why not waste? They've got great playgrounds most of the time. Um, And you know, kids just grab a bag and race out. So what we're doing is we discharge all the cortisol from the day. We fill them full of good dopamine. They're actually quite happy to go home and they probably don't have sibling fights. So I think it's looking at what simple practical ways give them something else than what they have, but we can't do it suddenly. We can't just chop that off. Um, And there's one other thing I wanted to throw into that, um, this mix of being stuck in this environment for so long. One of the things that we found after the um, Queensland floods, I often work with communities after um, natural disasters, was that the, the parents that kept their children with them, even if whose houses had been washed away in, in you know, rescue centres, um, those children, you know, when everything had been returned back and the schools were built, so the other children were sent to grandparents, the ones who recovered the best were the ones who stayed beside their parents, helped clean up, helped see the good people turn up with all those extra things to replace. So in other words, they're part of the whole process. Mm -hmm. So I know it might feel like some days you just wish this is the worst thing that could happen. Your children are seriously learning Mm -hmm. about how to be adaptable and resilient. And you need to kind of see that. One day you're going to see that we nailed it right? We did it. We did it. And we're out the other side. And I think, you know, you won't know till you're out the other side, but in actual fact, we've found kids are, you know, are actually developing more resilience around this horrible year. We also noticed the schools and the early childhood settings where children, parents weren't allowed in, uh, dropping their children at the front gate. Those children are, oh, whoa, they're just rocking on in. So again, with a bit of practice, they can do it exactly. And there's less of that separation stuff. The kids are settling straight in. So in other words, children stepped up. And I think this is really something that you need to hold on to, that we are all growing through this. You are also going to be a bit wiser around all sorts of things in your life. And I think that still feeling really um, a bit crabby some days, is it it is the constant lack of, um, you know, we always yearn for what we had, which is what grief is. Mm -hmm. But there are lots of things we've lost And also we collect, you know, collectively, Melbourne has lost so many loved ones. So there'll be times you will just pick up the sadness if you haven't lost a loved one. And that's completely normal. It's only if it gets stuck and pulls you into an even darker hole that creates the lethargy and you can't exist in your life or can't work or can't parent your children. 
that's a red flag. So again, knowing that it's you're going to just have those days still, um, that that's not a bad thing. It's called situational distress. Yeah, and that's when we look for that cup of coffee. Yes. Mind you, Melbourne coffee. I know. And medicinal chocolate. And medicinal chocolate. I'm really looking forward to, to having someone say to me in conversation in a few years' time going, hey, mate, 2020, I did COVID. This is nothing. Yes, right? This is nothing. <laughs> this is nothing. I did COVID in Melbourne, which is even, yes. you know. No, that's, that, it's going to be the badge of honour. I think so. There is it going to be the badge. You did it in Melbourne. Wow. Yeah, so much harder than everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. we need a medal for everyone in Melbourne. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, Maggie, can I say thank you so much for your time today? We think we've covered, we, we, we had some points we wanted to cover and I've just gone through our list and we've covered all of those so beautifully and so naturally. But uh, you've got a new book. So have, tell us about your book. My new book? Yes. Yay. For those of you who are raising beautiful boys that get a bit tricky tween to teen, so I've put all sorts of great hints and suggestions in here on how you can ensure that you don't leave him on the bridge to manhood. It's for mums and dads, and I know lots of teachers have already said, wow, I've just suddenly realised how to get them re-engaged. And I tackle all those big sorts of things. So again, I am a bit excited. Um, it only was launched um, just last week, and um, Pam McMillan has had to suddenly do a reprint. So I'm a bit excited. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure we put the links <laughs> um, for, to, to Maggie's book and uh, and also other other things that Maggie does, which is uh, Maggie does a lot. <laughs> so I and uh, everybody that I have enormous content that's completely free on my website, from teenagers to toddlers to boys raising girls and adolescents, and also my YouTube channel has over a hundred short videos for those moments that you, yeah, because I really am committed to getting good information out and to reassure parents that there's no such thing as perfect parents. There is good enough imperfect parents and we can raise amazing, amazing young people. And, and that's a, such an important point to remember at this time too, was yeah. we're going through some pretty tough times. Yeah. Dent, thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful chatting with you. My pleasure. My heartfelt love to everyone in Victoria. Thank you now. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>